0: It's Monday, January 15th. 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are praying for the country of Honduras, but before we do that, we are continuing our study on the gospel according to Luke, and we are joined by our George State Director, Blake Rogers, who will walk us through Luke chapter 7.
1: It's great to be back with you as we walk through Luke chapter 7 uh, today. We're going to be looking at the four stories that Luke provides for uh, the recipients of this gospel and uh, consequently us um, as he is seeking to point to uh, Christ as being the Messiah who came to inaugurate and establish the kingdom of God forever. Um first word that we're going to look at, look at is Jesus healing a centurion's servant. And uh, we're going to read here in verses one all the way through verse 10 for the story. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. This is an important servant to the centurion. Verse 3, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. Now, you see, the centurions largely represented uh, to the Jewish people the uh, enemy of God. I mean, they basically embodied the enemy of God. Obviously, they're established there by uh, Roman government to oversee um, a political power, a political reign, uh, in what uh, was deemed to be Jewish territory, and so they didn't always have the best relationship here. But what you also see through in throughout the Gospels is that the Jews are pretty eager to go and test Jesus. And so these guys, uh, they get the commission from the centurion, and then they go. They go uh, to ask him because this again will be a test for Jesus. Verse four. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying. He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us, our synagogue. Now, this is interesting. They're they're vouching for the attention of the Lord of the universe uh, by um, appealing to earthly accomplishments. And so I think that's one of the things that Luke is seeking to show us here And to teach us even about ourselves is that so often we as humans, we look to earthly accomplishments as validation for worthiness before the one true and living God. Now, as we'll see in the response of the centurion, uh, that is not uh, exactly what uh, qualifies us for salvation. In fact, the opposite qualifies us for salvation, Uh, being sick and being uh, wounded and being broken and being in, in our unrighteousness and recognizing our unrighteousness is actually a thing that qualifies us for the attention of the Messiah. And so the Pharisees here, the elders of the Jews, they kind of have it backwards but I th- also find this this mindset interesting. He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation. And he is one, the one, who built for us our synagogue. I grew up in Southern Baptist life, and um, I, I have heard, I believe, echoes of this same um, reality in... Uh, in the churches that I grew up in. Oh, you know, Brother Blake, he served in the military so long, and he's been here since the foundation of this church, and he's done so much for our church, Um, as if uh, that provides some sort of redemptive quality that Jesus pays attention to when it comes to our salvation. And so I think that uh, what we see here thousands of years ago is the same type of mentality that we easily fall into Uh, here on the earth today. So verse six, and Jesus went with them. You notice that Jesus didn't just balk at uh, their logic here, but he does go with them. And uh, when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends. So, Now the centurion is sending friends to go to him and he says, and saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word and let my servant be healed. You see, the centurion here has an opposite view of his worthiness before God. Um, He is putting off things, uh, even though he does have status in uh, the government, he does have authority um, over people. He does not appeal to those things whatsoever when it comes to vying for the attention of the Messiah. I think it's instructive for us. I think another thing that's instructive for us is the uh, way that he uh, addresses the Lord or Jesus here in his uh, salutation. He says, Lord, you see, when the elders of the Jews went to him, they just basically entered into conversation. But this centurion who is under authority and yet has authority, who has position and power, he sees Jesus and he calls him Lord. He says, do not trouble yourself for I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Not even to be in the same room, not in the same house. I'm not worthy of these things. Essentially here, what we have is that the centurion is making a clear uh, statement of faith of who Jesus is, that he is the one who was to come, that he is the Holy Lord of the universe, 100% God and 100% man here. And therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. You see, the centurion here also knows that Jesus, at a word, possesses the power, the strength, the sovereignty to completely reverse the situation of his suffering servant. He knows that Jesus can do that, and surely he can. Verse 8, For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. What we have unfolding here is the uh, centurion basically explaining like I in the same way that I tell one of my servants or one of the people under my authority to go and they go you jesus have the same authority over all of the cosmos you jesus have the same authority over this servant sickness as i have over humans who were set under my authority again these are massive statements about uh, the messiahship of jesus the lordship of Jesus over all of the earth. And I think it's instructive for us and even indicting for us. I think that if we're completely honest with ourselves, we worry much about the details of our day, uh, failing to recognize that there is a sovereign God who, at a word, um, possesses the power to, to make all things new. Um, and um, that is the God that we serve and we love. And so it's, there's great encouragement uh, in this here. In verse 9, when Jesus heard these statements from the centurion, he marvels at his faith. You know, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, and yet he marvels at this man's faith. You see, it is not earthly accomplishment that gives us any foothold before God. It is faith alone uh, that, that Jesus is concerned about. He's concerned about your faith. He's concerned about my faith. And he wants us to place our faith and trust in him. And again, um, what happens? Well, the man is healed. Jesus not only marvels at his faith, he not only commends this man, but he actually does what the guy asks. He shows his full sovereignty over uh, the cosmos and over this man's sickness. And when they returned, the servant was well. Now, the thing that we hear echoed here is... Uh, a new world order, okay? And, and Luke is going to use these next three stories that we're going to highlight just briefly to tell us, to communicate that in Jesus, a new day has come. In Jesus, a new day has come. And we see this in Jesus raising a widow's son. Now, basically, as this story goes, um, there's, there is a widow um, who has her only son who um, has died. And Jesus... Again, at a word says, Arise, and the young man rose from the dead. Again, Jesus here is speaking into brokenness. He's speaking directly at the uh, effect of sin, death itself. The thing that reminds us so clearly that things are not right in the world. When we go to a funeral when we have a family member die and we've all been there and done that or a friend Um, We have this unsettledness in our souls as you sit there and you look upon um, a deceased body that something isn't right in the world. And it's true. Things aren't right in the world. But at a word, Jesus has the power to redeem, restore and reverse the curse and the effects of the curse uh, on the earth. And that is what Luke wants us to know uh, from this story. Then Luke points us to Jesus um, uh, reporting back to messengers of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was the one who came proclaiming that the kingdom was at hand and that people should repent, that the kingdom was at hand in Jesus and uh, that the hour has come. And Jesus here, or John the Baptist, he sends messengers to see if Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus, in response to their request, he, in verse 21, does this. In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he says in verse 22, and he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor are. The poor have good news to preach to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Again, what Jesus is doing here is he is showing that at his arrival, there is a new world order, that he in his his life uh, that he is living, he is making all things new. He is signaling something to us uh, through that. And we finally have come to a story of Jesus forgiving a sinful woman. Now, this woman, verse thirty-seven tells us she was a woman of the city who was a sinner, which is largely a euphemism for her being a prostitute. And um, she basically she came to Jesus as he was reclining at the table. And um, how the story unfolds is that as she's reclining, as, as Jesus is reclining at the table, she comes in. She she cleanses his feet, which are just. You know, your feet are just in general are generally going to be nasty. But in this day and age, when sewage spills into the street and when there's mud and dirt, you know, the last thing you want to touch is feet. And the response of the sinner is that she goes and she washes his nasty feet with her hair. This at the onset seems bizarre, but in her heart, she recognizes that this is no ordinary man. That This is the Lord of the universe sitting here in the very um, the very uh, least of the things that I could do, the, even the worst of the things that I could do, is a great thing of service to the king. And she goes and she cleanses his feet with her hair and her tears and with an alabaster flash. She anoints his, his, uh, his feet uh, with ointment. And it's a great cost. It's a great, um, it is a great um, cost to her, a sacrifice. When the end of this story, after he tells a little parable to the Pharisee, who, um, or yeah, to the Pharisee, he basically tells them a story to teach them that you know to whom much you know people who are forgiven much love much, and this woman has loved, and then he concludes that story by saying, "Your faith has saved you." Speaking to the woman, go in peace. Now, again, it wasn't this woman's background. It wasn't her earthly accomplishments. It wasn't even the things that she had done um, uh, you know, that, that were publicly known that disqualified her. He doesn't focus on those things. What he focuses on is her faith. Her faith here is demonstrated uh, by her love for Jesus, also demonstrated by the fact that she would go to such costly measures to serve him in such a way as to even clean his feet. She is demonstrating great faith here um, and great love for Jesus. And it is her faith that has saved her. You know, we as uh, we as humans, we so often get caught up into looking at things of an earthly kingdom. We measure a person's quality by his or her contribution to things at an earthly level. Well, Jesus is entering. a a new world order. And scholars and and commentators uh, tell us, uh, they kind of sum up this new world order that Jesus is inaugurating here um, with the term inaugurated eschatology. Now, eschatology is a big fancy word, um, which can uh, refer to how the the end times will take place. But here it's referring to um, the definitive answer for the prophecies of old. You know, the whole whole Old Testament points forward to Jesus. And there's prophecy after prophecy after prophecy that point to a Messiah who would come and who would wipe away every tear from our eyes and death will be no more and he will restore that which was lost after the fall. Luke in chapter 7 is signaling to us that this new day has arrived in Jesus and we understand that as inaugurated eschatology. Jesus has inaugurated the end times. The kingdom is not a kingdom of the future. It is a kingdom where that will be f- completely fulfilled in the future, but it is a kingdom that we live in and participate in, in now as believers, as we have the Spirit at work within us uh, to this very day, inaugurated and established in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Himself. Now when you understand that, it reshapes how you view your days. It reshapes how you view your life. If all that we are doing is a part of a kingdom narrative that will never fail and never fade, a kingdom narrative centered on the person and work of Jesus, then that brings great significance to our days. We don't just live life and work and then have that day go to waste. No, we go to work, and we recognize that as Jesus has inaugurated the kingdom of Christ, we get to live and participate in this kingdom by making him known um, through the excellent work that we do, uh, pursuing excellence, but then also by telling people that Jesus values faith in him. Faith in him is how you enter the kingdom, and it is the way to live a lasting life uh, on this earth. That's another reason why we're in this orphan care space. Um, Jesus cares for orphans and and um, we care for orphans because the kingdom of Christ is at hand. The kingdom of Christ is here. it is now. And we have the Spirit at work within us as believers, gospel power to bring lasting measuring measures of of grace, of mercy, and ultimately, We have the capacity to bring the gospel to the nations and to orphans through our work. This is a kingdom endeavor that we're in, and we're reminded of it in Luke. And it's my encouragement to you that you jump right in with us. In conclusion, I'm going to read from Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, speaking of the days of of, of now even. He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, and through whom He also created the world. Thanks for being with us.
0: Well, thank you, Blake. And like we said, this week we are praying for the country of Honduras. And so here are some ways that you can be joining our team as we pray for Honduras. First, pray for all the children in the care of D-I-N-A-F, who is the central authority. Pray that those children would come to know Christ and ultimately know their value that can be found only in Christ alone. Pray that we can find missional-minded families for the children that are waiting for families in Honduras. Pray for the transitions that will take place in the government due to the recent presidential elections in Honduras. Also, pray that we will build stronger relationships with individuals who work in DINAF or D-I-N-A-F. Pray for D-I-N-A-F as they implement these new adoption laws and and new policies. Pray that they will benefit the children of Honduras and that they will see the, the urgency of caring for children and placing them in forever families. Pray ultimately for a society as they are struggling with violence and and gang warfare and and drug trafficking and human trafficking. Pray that the people of Honduras would would not find hope in crime, but find hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray for the judges that are making decisions that impact adoption and ultimately impact orphans and and children. Pray as they make rulings that, that they will choose to do what is right and that they will do it in a timely manner on behalf of these children that are waiting. Pray for children also just to be reunified with their birth families if they're lost or if poverty is the only thing that's keeping them apart. Pray that that they would be properly declared abandoned if they need to be so that they can be adopted. Uh, Pray for our team, Carmen and Livio, that are on the ground, our attorney and our representative. Pray for wisdom for them and creativity and endurance as they go to the central authority and the courts weekly to advocate for families. Pray that they would build good relationships as they work alongside of the central authority. And pray Pray for the families who are in process because it's a long, hard, arduous process and pray for that. They would be patient. Pray that their hearts would be steadfast and pray that their emotions uh, would be uh, uh, just garnished and, 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 and. Overflowed by the Lord. Pray that our second family, uh, we uh, just pray for them because they've just recently finalized their adoption and they're coming home soon. So pray for them as they start that transition and praise for our families in process now. We're we're thankful for their passion and their dedication to the culture and, and the country of Honduras and pray that they would just have endurance and patience with the program. And then pray for our total team, for Carmen, for Livio, for uh, Big Daddy, Josh Caldwell, for Beth, and for Farah, and pray that the Lord would give each of them wisdom and discernment in navigating the program and making those decisions and ultimately in supporting those families. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to work in the country of Honduras, and Lord, for all the work that has been put into starting this program and and continuing this program. And Lord, we pray for open doors for unadopted. We pray for these families that are waiting. We pray for these families who finalize their adoptions, that they would be able to walk through the gospel and disciple their children where they are. We pray for this country uh, that they would turn away from crime and turn away from drugs and turn away from trafficking and turn to the one who loves their soul more than anything else, Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray for the country of Honduras and pray for opportunities to show your gospel to orphans, widows, and vulnerable children. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.